it's vitally important that the selling owner have that group of, of people that he or she can can rely on and let them know that they are vitally important to what's about to happen and that you as the owner value their input uh, you value their opinions and you will act on that input and those opinions to, to the extent that you possibly can. If you spend some time in the title industry within a leadership role, the opportunity for a merger or acquisition has likely presented itself. While a lot of prepping goes into M&A plans beforehand, it's the transition period that can make or break its success. Crunching numbers to analyze the financial benefits of the merger or acquisition is only one part of the equation. Leaders need to be equally attentive to the psychological and cultural impact on all team members and work to achieve full buy-in from not just the owners and stockholders, but employees and customers as well. I spoke to Marcus Hunt and Pat Smith of Title Success Solutions about what title company owners need to do after a merger to build consensus, ease anxieties, set expectations, and support their vision for a new company. I'm Amanda Farrell, and this is Title Talks. I'm so thankful that you guys took the the time to sit and talk with me today about, you know, mergers and acquisitions. There's a lot of movement happening in the title industry, and I think this is going to be a really great topic for our audience today. Before we get into the questions, I'd like for you both to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background in the real estate industry. Thanks, Amanda. Hey, this is Marcus Hunt, uh, one of the partners at Title Success Solutions. Also, I'm in the title industry as an owner of South Oak Title. And kind of over the years, we've seen a lot of acquisitions. We've been a part of some. Uh, we do see a lot of uh, things taking place, and we'll dive into those. And, and I'm excited about the topic of uh, post-acquisition, just best practices, because we all talk about kind of getting there. But there's so much that happens after the fact. So, Pat, I'll let you introduce yourself, and then we'll dive in. Sure. I'm uh, I'm Pat Smith. I am uh, Marcus's partner in Title Success Solutions. He and I are the, the co-founders of the company. I also have a background in uh, the title insurance industry. I was a um, president of a large by Alabama standards uh, title insurance company for about 15 years. So I have a background as an attorney uh, on the real estate uh, transactional side and much earlier in my career uh, as a uh, as a CPA with with one is what is now I guess the big four I'm dating myself by saying it was a big eight and this whole uh, venture that Marcus and I uh, launched was born out of a conversation that he and I were having as as friends and one night and and we were talking about uh, opportunities we had seen for expansion or uh, acquisitions and all in the title insurance industry and we just literally looked at each other and, and said you know there's really not anybody in that space that's advising people like us at, at the time who were uh, looking to be uh, in, in the acquisition side of, of the industry. And uh, we started talking that out. And from that conversation, uh, Title Success Solutions was was formed. And we've been at it now a couple of years, I guess, Marcus, uh, in this, this present role. Uh, we've managed to survive COVID, which changed our, our emphasis and our, our strategies quite a bit. And now we're hopefully coming out the other end of that that era, and we are seeing a lot of pent-up demand in the title insurance industry. A lot of uh, agency owners, having survived and gone through uh, the last year, are thinking maybe it's time to evaluate what the next chapter 
in their lives and their careers look like. There are a lot of entrepreneur operators that are entering the title insurance industry. These uh, individuals bring a something of a different mindset to the industry than what we have experienced over the past 20, 25, 30 years of our career. This is uh, an industry in transition. And it seems to be transitioning from that mom and pop family type of ownership group to a, um, a much more entrepreneurial model. We are excited to be a part of that uh, that transition. And we're hopeful that through some of our experiences, we can help your followers prepare themselves for that next step in their career or to uh, be prepared for uh, what to expect if they've already decided to take that, uh, take that plunge. And so... As I mentioned before, you know, I've been reading a lot about mergers and acquisitions in the title industry, and it seems like there's one announced on an almost regular basis. So for someone who is interested in selling their title company, what is your number one piece of advice that you would give? Pat, I'll kind of jump jump in uh, and kind of give my initial thought. And we talk about an owner and a lot of the owners we work with are either smaller mom and pop or mid-sized companies that are either been family run. And you really got to step, step back and decide what you ultimately want as an owner that's looking at uh, transitioning out. So what are your, what are your main goals uh, when you're looking at whether it's, you know, within the next year you're looking to exit or whether it's even in five years, Pat and I do some, um, webinars and sessions about just exit strategies and planning. And so that could be a window of a a short window or it could be a longer window, but ultimately you got to define your goals as an owner. And that can be everything from, you know, once you sell, do you want to completely walk away from the business? Uh, Do you want to stay involved, but just kind of remove yourself from the the day-to-day kind of behind the scenes operations? We've talked with uh, several owners, even recently, uh, Amanda that have either one wanted to stay in, wanted to keep doing as a closer, want to help continue to process, but just done with all the, you know, accounting and management and uh, handling the bills and all the things that come along with being a, a day-to-day operator and manager of a company. We've, we've talked with other owners that are literally day one. I want to be gone. It's, it's, it's time. I'm ready to go sail away and or enjoy the beach and uh, or enjoy lake life, whatever that looks like for someone looking to really retire and, and kind of move on to that next chapter. From there, a lot of the other pieces fall into place. But Pat and I always kind of say you, you got to be ready for that question because it's going to be one of the first things that that a acquiring company will want to know is what what are your plans as the current owner? Because uh, different different companies will handle that different ways uh, that are looking to acquire. The next step from that, that self-examination, that, that why do I want to take this step? Is it that I've been in this business for 45 years? My family is not interested in succeeding me. I, it's, just, just, it's just the why. And your why is your why. It doesn't, there's no right answer to that. It's what is your motivating factor of, of why you want to take this step. But once you know that answer, there's a very important next step is this is not something that you can decide, I want to transition and then just walk out in front of your office the next day and say, we're for sale. Come in and bring me your offers. It's not, you know, you could do that maybe as a residential real estate if the house is in good shape, but there are preparations to be made. And maybe not number one, but number one, a piece of advice is after you find your goal 
is is to start that preparation process. This is this is a process, not an event. You need to prepare for that. You need to sit down and start working toward preparing your office, your agency, your company to be closely examined, to be critiqued, criticized, picked apart, because the people that are interested in, in possibly acquiring your company are going to come in and perform a very thorough due diligence process, and they need to know exactly what's going on inside that company to make the right decision of whether your company is the right fit for them. That doesn't mean that it's right or it's wrong. It's just that you, your company may be the right target for Joe, but it may not be the right target for Sue Ann. But it, in either event, you've got to start that process, start getting ready for due diligence, have your financial statements for the last three to five years uh, in order, not just tax returns, but financial statements, have them ready to hand over to someone to to review backup information for those, your, your general ledger uh, accounts, tax returns, leases, uh, your uh, employee roster with their payroll information, job descriptions, organizational charts, so who reports to who. And if you're wigging out right now going, I don't want to do all that, you don't have to do it all yourself. There are people in the industry that can help lead that process for you. This can seem overwhelming uh, when someone decides they want to exit. And we talk about, you know, the preparation and, and preparing. There are teams, uh, people that can come alongside you. So many owners right now are so busy because the market's just running Same. 90 to nothing, moving at an incredibly fast pace. And so it's, it is hard to look up and either work kind of in, in the business and on, on, on the business uh, and prepping for some a possible acquisition. And you don't have to do it all at once. Uh, that's kind of another thing Pat and I preach, but you got to start somewhere. And as Marcus said, those of us, uh, particularly the owner operators of title agencies, all right now in, in our area, and I think probably across most of the country, are, are swamped. They're, they're absolutely swamped. It, it's, a, it's a busy time. There's no inventory, things moving very quickly. As we say in the South, ain't nobody got time for that. You know, uh, ain't nobody got time to, to, go through these financial statements and put them in a in a format that, that might be more akin to to generally accepted accounting principles and uh, cash flow statements and this is an opportunity as Marcus said to work with a consultant a, a investment banker with you know somebody who not only they have time for that that's what they actually do on a day-to-day -day basis so there are people there who will help you uh, never ever in this process be afraid to say I don't know how to get from point A to point B, would you please come and talk to me about how to make that happen? We had the opportunity to you know, host you for a webinar and you both were able to go into those details of the preparation for the sell or the merger itself. And I'm curious to know a little bit more about the after the merger, after the acquisition, whatever it might be. Marcus, you mentioned you know, the owner or whoever wanting to stay on and continue to do certain work within the newly restructured company. And I'm curious to know how common is it for a former owner to retain a role after a transition of ownership? And does that often disrupt or undermine new leaders position? I think there's a balancing there, Amanda. Um, and I think a lot of times acquiring companies would like for that uh, the, the owner 
to, to be on board, or at least for a period of time to help in the transition. I, I'm, I mentioned earlier, you know, having a, a client that's talked to us and r- literally wants to kind of move on day one. That's not, that's not super helpful whenever you're trying to, you know, trying to have these two worlds, you know, come together. And so I think it's important, even if, even if someone is looking to exit sooner than later, as far as from the day to day and just really kind of, you know, jump on the sailboat, go enjoy uh, kind of retirement life. I think it's important to try to, as a buyer, to put in some incentive to keep that, you know, that owner on, on, on board for a little bit longer to help with the transition, to help, you know, make sure the, the merger happens and all the people uh, are kind of on board with it. The other side of that though, and this is kind of one of the things that the, the owner that I've mentioned that is ready to kind of exit kind of day one, some of the fears from that type, uh, from, from that owner is, well, I don't want my staff coming back to me and, Hey, why are they doing it this way? And I don't like this. And they don't, so they don't want to be kind of the one the staff runs to, to, to complain about things not going well. And, and we'll talk more even about that transition process and of making sure we're communicating as a new ownership team from the beginning, whether there's issues or problems or making sure the culture really makes a, a strong transition. But from an owner's previous owner standpoint, those are some of the kind of things that I know are running through their minds and that we've had discussions about when it comes to, do I stay on board? And if so, what does that really look like for me? I don't want to get caught in the middle of this transition, but those previous owners are so important in, as, as the transition happens to make sure that everybody really is on board. Marcus, uh, Another thing here to mention that Amanda had asked, what's that that one that one big thing? And and this is where that the owner's one big thing and the acquirer's one big thing can come into conflict. We talked about the owner's role in the business currently. How involved is the current owner in the day-to-day business operations of the company? How involved is the owner in in the business. If it's an owner that, that's still very involved in the business, who's still very much the face and the front of the company, uh, who is spending a lot of one-on-one time with clients and customers, and that owner wants to walk away, that's going to be very difficult for the acquiring company to, to buy into because the ongoing business and, and the market value of the acquired company is still very heavily dependent on the efforts of the owner. And Pat, we've talked about it in, the, in some of our exit planning seminars, how important it is if you are one of those owners that has such a vital role that you got to almost start letting go of some of those pieces. So when you, when you get to this acquisition stage and, and post-acquisition, it's not all falling on you and there's not this big dependency on you. This is this is one of those threshold issues uh, that's going to come up during the, the due diligence phase is what is the owner's goal? What's their desire? And how does that fit in with what the potential acquirer needs for that transaction? And there needs to be a very open, frank, honest, and early discussion about what is that current owner's role going to be moving forward. And, you know, Pat, and this really, this could be one of the, the deal making or breaking kind of pieces because they just, they, this might be one of those areas that either side doesn't quite line up. And uh, it's also one of those things that as an acquiring company, you want to make sure it lines up because this, if this piece doesn't fit, then the, the trickle down from ownership to former staff really may make the post acquisition uh, process and things might start unraveling. Yes, indeed. 
So what are some of the ways that the seller can make the transition smoother? And what about the buyer as well? So from the seller's perspective, from the time the selling owner makes the initial in confidence approach to key employees and personnel uh, as to what's going on. I want to retire. I've been in this business a long time. You know, I think it's time that I move into the next chapter. Whatever the reason for that is, that owner has to be um, transparent and he or she has to paint this as being a positive step for the company and for the company's employees, not just for the owner. At that point, that group of employees are going to become part of the trusted team of advisors. They're going to help with the due diligence process. They're going to help with the target acquisition screening process. They're going to be involved in a supportive and a trusted role. And I think this it's vitally important that the selling owner have that group of, of people that he or she can can rely on and let them know that they are vitally important to what's about to happen and that you as the owner value their input, uh, you value their opinions, and you will act on that input and those opinions to, to the extent that you possibly can. From a buyer standpoint, I think this is, this is maybe more challenging. You're coming into a situation as a buyer where the team – at the acquired company is going to be nervous that their owners have been pumping them up, telling them it's a great thing, it's an excited thing, but they see things, they hear things, you know, their biggest fear is that this is going to be a wholesale change that, that we're just going to be sucked into this and we're going to shoot up and spit out. And probably the farthest thing from the acquiring company's mind, I mean, or at least part of the reason that you're looking at and you're interested in this company is that they're doing something right. They're in the right place, but you're not going to look at a company that's in the place you want to go if it's a, a company with poorly trained, poorly skilled employees. You're you're there partially because of these employees. So from a, a buyer's perspective, let them know that they are important. They're part of the reason you're here. From a buyer's perspective, start examining before you get into the process as part of your planning and your goals. What's your company culture? What is, What are you known for? I mean, what, what is your company known for? Is it known for being a family-friendly place to work that provides flexible work hours for parents and those that need to have a, a caretaking role? Is it known for providing great benefits or is it known for something less positive? And if it's known for something less positive before you jump into this process, maybe you need to address getting that culture revised before you move into this into this this world, because that's that's going to be known. Pat, I'd say, you know, another thing we, we're in a people driven business and you're right when you say one, one of the primary things uh, an acquiring company is looking at are, are the people that are that are going to be on board and uh, how do you take care of them day one and the easy part. And it's not easy, but the easy part is getting to the finish line and signing the documents. The real work becomes day one after the, the ink's dried, and you've got to really deal with people and staff and making sure the culture is is good and there's a transition that's positive so you're, you don't really skip a beat whenever the, the new company takes over. Well, we've seen some, some literature, some, some research that indicates that in a transition that there may be as much as a 12 to 15 percent of revenue cost and expense to that transaction that 
comes out of uh, poor planning, poor communication between the uh, acquiring company and the, the employees of the of the acquired company. Uh, if you look at what you're if you're doing a three million dollar revenue company and you're looking at a, a twelve to fifteen percent loss in revenue, that's a pretty significant hint that can be avoided by planning and by execution. You know what Marcus uh, mentioned as far as making sure that everybody has tools. That what you're saying there is we we've thought about you. We know that that we're coming in and making changes, but we are incorporating you into those changes. We're giving you the tools that you need to be successful, not just be successful but welcome. New business cards, new headshots. If you put headshots on, on business cards, company swag. If, if you're a company that does golf shirts with a company logo or golf hats or, you know, whatever that your employees have, make sure that the new employees have a, have that same thing. I love um, that, Pat. I've actually even seen some companies that actually day one kind of hand out like new swag boxes to everybody, you know, which is yes. a super kind of fun thing with, whether it's some of your promotional items or t-shirt or different things, I think that's just kind of, or, you know, just kind of a welcome to the new team box or whatever. I think those are super great fun ways to kind of, again, push that culture, uh, which I think is very important. Another thing that is, I think is so important to avoid is the new kid at school syndrome. Uh, You know, you all, we all watch those, you know, coming of age, movies and tv shows growing up our children did where you know the the new kid is sitting alone at the lunch table because he or she doesn't have any friends and you want to avoid that so when you're bringing uh, new people into your company you want them to feel welcome you want to make sure that they the employees of the acquired company and the employees of the acquiring company aren't maintaining their separate cliques, their separate groups. You want to integrate those. Plan something to make that happen. One thing that I've seen done with uh, a couple of times, it's just it's just pretty easy, is that, that right around the time you do the acquisition and maybe ever so often after that, you call a food truck and say, come to our office today at lunch. We're going to all sit down together and, and our mill around the food truck. We're going to we're going to we're just going to talk. It's hard to get people to do those kinds of things outside of work hours now because we're busy children have ball games we've got things going on but to the extent you can do that in the workplace during the work day you're starting to meld the two cultures together and create something that we hope has the synergy that you planned and hoped for during the the acquisition process i love that food truck idea there's nothing better than good food to bring people together music helps too yes uh, so i think that's a, a great idea having you know a small event to get everyone together and some sort of little reward to entice people as well to to come out and meet new people and feel like they're building a new culture together. I, I am curious, though, too, you know, sometimes these mergers and acquisitions can become contentious. So how does the approach to the transition maybe change if it's a, a takeover versus a true merger? Okay, I'll, I'll let me talk about that just a little bit. You, you look at these things can take many different shapes. Uh, Marcus and I are working uh, on a, a, a transaction right now where a much smaller company is looking at acquiring a larger company. The, the, the employee ratio is about one to three. Now that is a, uh, a situation where the culture of the acquired company is going to have a stronger influence than the culture of the acquiring company, but the culture that the acquiring company wants to continue is the culture that they have. They want to to have more of an influence because it's a, it's a little bit more relaxed culture, a little bit more easygoing 
sort of thing. So that's going to have to be a real effort in, in leadership. The leadership of the acquiring company and the acquired company have to understand going in as part of the planning process that this is one of the things that we're going to be rolling out to the employees of the acquired company. We don't want you working 60 hours a week anymore. We don't want you taking files home on the weekend. We don't want you entering orders at 10 o'clock at night. That's not part of what we're about. We are trying to instill a workplace environment you look forward to coming to that it's you don't your stress level doesn't go up the minute that you uh, on Sunday night when you start thinking about coming into work on on Monday you don't get to Sunday crazies if if the role is is flipped where you've got a larger company acquiring a smaller company i think it's it's uh, a little different there because you're you're probably going to want to install that that culture influence is going to be different so i think again what you can do there is, is to look at the the size of the players the role look at who's going to have the oversized influence in the terms of determining the company culture going forward and then decide how to combine and direct that company culture through leadership to where you want it to go there's not a bunch just because so many of the the companies and the way most of the title business across the country is kind of operated more, again, local mom and pop, mid-sized companies. There's, you don't have a bunch of like takeover opportunities. So you don't, we don't, we don't see a bunch of that. You might see more and more down the road. Not when I say down the road, five or 10 years from now, as, as more acquiring companies get larger and maybe then there's some, some room for more, I feel like corporate corporate kind of driven takeover of, uh, and, and, and you also see some more of these larger real estate type of companies that now have pieces in all of the, whether it's lending title and real estate brokerages, you may see some in that space, but for the most part, Pat and I really don't see a lot of kind of takeover scenarios. It's, it's really like, what's the best fit merger acquisition, uh, and making sure for both sides that it's the, it's a working model. Two, two other ideas that I want to bring into play for that transitional period. One is, and we mentioned this before, is the communications from the new management team to all the employees, but especially to the employees that have just been brought on board. Communicate every day. One idea that, that I like is that for either the, the manager, the owner, the leader, or the, the management team to, for maybe 30 or 45 days, ever how long after the effective date of the transition is to send out an email or now uh, one of the things we're seeing are the, the short video clips to send out an email or a short video clip every day for a little while, every day. I'm Pat Smith. I'm the president of ABC title. You're so happy to have you as part of, of our family. You know, this transaction is a process, not an event. And part of the process today is we've got five people training on our new software system so that you can become more productive and, and better serve our mutual client customers. So the next day, uh, I'm, you know, Allison Parker. I'm executive vice president of, of, you know, human resources and operations. And today in our transition process, we're doing this. You know, just make those daily communications a priority so that so that everybody knows what's going on and, and what the goal is. A second thing, if you are in that management team of the company that has acquired, be present, become known, make yourselves available, walk through the office on a regular basis, take an interest in those employees, get to know who they are, their names, their spouses' names, their children, what other activities. Let them know that they are not just a resource to make money for the company. 
those are soft skills. So, t- so many times, those of us in our professions, financial professions, legal, we tend to discount those soft skills. Uh, people in HR realize how important they are. And this is where we can take a lesson from, from our friends in, in HR and industrial psychology and, and other fields is that this is a point where those soft skills are so important in the, uh, the, the smoothness of the, of the transition and even the ultimate success of the, of the acquisition. I think those are awesome tips. I especially love the one with incorporating video in your communications. I think that's really important in this day and age. A lot of people respond more to video. And a lot of times we assume, you know, if you're in business, just write an email. But video is such a a more clear and concise and sometimes easier way to communicate something to a group of people. So that's that's a great tip. And so we talked a little bit already about, you know, melding these cultures together. And as I was doing some reading on the topic of mergers and acquisitions, I came across a article, an article in the Harvard Business Review. And there was a quote that really popped out to me. And it said, lack of cultural understanding between the integrating parties, poor integration, leadership, and a focus on the wrong activity or wrong targets are common pitfalls. So how do you recommend to buyers and sellers, how do they get a better understanding of what that company culture is and also their internal processes? What's what's that review process like and that sort of, I guess, um, fact-finding strategy going to look like? Amanda, I think, again, as Pat mentioned just previously, th- these are some of these soft factors that don't show up on a spreadsheet but are vital when it comes to a transition. Culture is so important. It can make or break a company. And so I think from a buyer's perspective, uh, as part of your due diligence, you've got to kind of dive in and dig a little bit deeper to kind of see what the current culture of that company is. Is it a bunch of, you know, is the staff more individualistic and they're just kind of hiding behind their monitors, grinding it out, doing their work and then going home. And there's really not a lot of kind of community within the office. I mean, that's, you gotta, you gotta know that. Uh, is there a reason for that? We always talk about even in, in staffing, there, there are people that are great out front people, our salespeople, some of our leadership, but then there are great people in our business that are great kind of behind the scenes that do great, amazing work in underwriting and, and title search work and, and are, are amazing kind of in processing behind the scenes. And so with, with any company, you're kind of measuring those, but you're always trying to find this common ground of way to create community. We think it's very important for an acquiring company and the ownership to kind of have a, a pulse of what that looks like. And so whether that's spending more time with some of the, the staff and the team prior to acquisition, one, you can do that. Two, one of the things Pat and I have seen and some of the things that we try to help incorporate uh, with an acquiring company is even taking the pulse, whether it's some kind of survey or, or try to get some kind of feedback prior to an acquisition, just part of the due diligence. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to dig a little bit deeper and do a survey about what you enjoy. What are things in the office that everyone participates in? What would you like to see? And so I feel like there's some things you can do on the front end to kind of gauge that, get a, a true pulse, and then be able to decide again whether that fits within your culture that you're bringing to the table to this, this new company you're acquiring. 
uh, a company that Marcus and I both know of that, that uh, ironically enough, I don't think that they're in existence anymore. But this was when I was a younger manager, a younger lawyer dealing in the title world. It was a company in, in the area where we worked that had it was known for a company culture of the employees were not permitted to talk to each other during the day unless they were on a break. Uh, this was a very hardcore culture. And if I was looking to make an acquisition and I was coming out of the culture of the company that I ran, that was, that's going to be a difficult sell for me because I don't know if this is a, a managerial decision that they don't want the employees talking to each other. I don't know if it's because of the personalities of the employees, but I just know that that's not going to be a real good fit for the environment that I've tried to foster in the company that I'm running. So as part of that process, I think it's important to examine the relative cultures, the relative environments of the two companies and determine whether or not it's just a fit. I mean, I know the you know, kids these days, uh, you know, swipe right, swipe left. Sometimes that opportunity may be a swipe right opportunity, and sometimes it may be swipe left. It's just not one that's going to work well for us. From a seller side, you know, Amanda, because I know a lot of, of sellers that we work with, one of their number one things is I want to make sure my people are taken care of. I, I'm actually actually working with a company right now. Their number one thing as part of their transition out is I want to make sure my team and my staff are well taken care of. If not, then I just, just would rather just stay here and, and keep doing what I'm doing. Culture is created by great leadership. And so I think it's a top-down thing that happens whenever the right leadership implements culture and helps promote culture and does things to create a, a you know community within a company and an office. So I think this, the, the companies that are really doing it well right now and growing are run by leaders that believe in, in creating culture. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And so I, I wanted to ask a little bit more too about you know, after the merger, there's going to be a lot of restructuring of the organization. And there's also going to be an emphasis on how is it going to function? How will those changes take shape? And so I'm curious to know a little bit more about how merging companies can build a consensus and integrate their operational approaches and who should be involved in those efforts to integrate things. Should it be something that is every staff member is considered a stakeholder? Uh, should you be designating certain people within certain departments? What would you say is the best approach, depending maybe on the size of the companies? I think that the the first thing to recognize is that a, a cram down approach is, is not going to be successful. I mean, we've often heard of, of my way or highway approach. That is not going to result in a successful transition uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, that sort of approach fails to show respect to the, the employees and the, the prior ownership group of the company that's being acquired. It um, creates an opportunity for for employees to, to to look elsewhere. It creates an opportunity for competitors to come in and, and offer better opportunities or more attractive opportunities to the employees. That's a very expensive proposition. It cost 2016. It cost about forty two hundred dollars in about a month and a half to replace an employee. And in today's environment, in our industry, it's probably going to be far greater than that. So I think that the thing that the acquiring company has got to realize is that those people that are, are part of that acquisition target 
Uh, they're already going to be a little bit nervous. They need to be made to feel welcome. We've talked about this, talked about how to do it. I think this is a good opportunity to engage in possibly some some surveys or maybe better than surveys because they can be impersonal. Is maybe just some listening sessions. Management of the, uh, uh, the acquiring company just comes in, sets down in, a, in an informal and casual setting with groups of employees in the, and talk to me. Share with those employees what your vision is. What got you into the business? What made you want to acquire this company? Why are those employees important? Listen to them. What do you like about working here? If you could change something, what would it be? Let them be heard and let them feel like their efforts are valued and that they're being integrated and brought into a a company that this is a combined effort. This is not something we're trying to force down on you. Uh, As far as who is a stakeholder, just like who's in sales, who's in customer service, everybody. Uh, In our business, we had people who their job was to jump in a little car and deliver commitments around town. Uh, I don't think we do that much anymore. But whether it's somebody that has that entry level position all the way up to somebody who holds major fiscal and monetary responsibility, again, doesn't show up on a spreadsheet, doesn't show up on an income statement. It's an approach that's absolutely crucial to to making that transaction succeed. And Amanda, I think you can see for for an acquisition of a larger company, maybe you start with kind of management teams and and circle the wagons around them as far as getting the buy-in. And then, like Pat said, then maybe you move into departments as kind of the new leadership and, and really kind of have, you know, whether it's some discussion times or, you know, meeting some amongst the departments just to kind of onboard and again, kind of continue to build that rapport with the new team and the staff. So it kind of depends on, you know, the size of the company you're acquiring. If you're acquiring a company that's got six employees, then it's really easy to circle everyone in the conference room and over lunch and, you know, have some discussions. And so it really just kind of depends on the size of the company. You mentioned uh, a minute ago who should be involved in those efforts. We always talk about putting a team together. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, resources and help that can come alongside in the process of a merger of people that w- we believe should be a part of the, the deal and, and the transaction. And so everything from Pat and I always preach about our underwriters and how big of help they are when, when it comes to either looking at opportunities, but even once the deal's done, helping the transition piece, whether it's bringing your underwriting team in and just, you know, helping uh, the culture and bringing everyone together, that's important. You know, some companies are large enough to have a human resource team. Some companies outsource that piece. And so maybe it's a good time to bring one of those uh, players from your HR outsource team in and help transition and, and make sure everybody's signed up on the new program and their health insurance is good and everybody understands kind of what that looks like and the benefits package. And now you have a new gym membership, you know, because the, the larger company has a corporate deal with a, a gym down the street or so there's a lot of pieces and, and a lot of people that can help the team to help things fall into place when it comes to making the post-acquisition checklist you know, happen. In some of our other presentations, Marcus and I have talked about the value of putting together that team of trusted advisors. And we've talked about that in context of the due diligence and the planning process. But I think that team of advisors is equally as important moving forward past the, the effective date of the acquisition. You know, we mentioned uh, our underwriters. They are our best friends. They are our leaders, our guiders, uh, hold us accountable. They are our coaches. They are just an integral part of the process. And our state management team here in Alabama for our underwriters 
riders, just phenomenal. And, and, and we know that to be the case in most other states as well. Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity here to consult with good business counsel. This may not be your friend that you play golf with on Sunday morning, but this is somebody who can help guide through some of these unexpected problems. They've been there before. They can help you anticipate what's coming down the road and be prepared for them. Industrial or, or corporate psychologist, not counseling for employees, although that's not always a bad thing, but to help make sure that this transition is well designed and to help with the follow-up to evaluate how things are going. And then let's not overlook the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Sometimes when we do acquisitions, we lose the necessity for a number of FTEs. There are oftentimes positions to be cut. And, and unless that position is open already, that means that there has to be unpleasant conversations with, with one or more people. And believe me, that conversation is just as unpleasant from the one delivering as it is almost from the other person hearing it. If that's going to be the case, and you know that's going to be the case, plan ahead. Reach out to underwriters, reach out to outplacement firms, reach out to, to people who are going to be in a position to help these uh, employees who are going to be looking for another opportunity to find that opportunity. I've been successful in the past where I've had to make those decisions of delivering that bad news and then saying, here's somebody I'd like you to call. I think they might be able to help you with this process. And then when they did, we turned a potentially very ugly situation into one where we were all able to remain cordial and continue to be professional associates. So uh, if that's going to be part of the process, address it, don't ignore it, put in the work to make sure that that uh, goes as smoothly as possible. And Pat, I think one more, and it's it's the one that probably doesn't need to be stated, but probably the biggest one yet when it comes to who should be involved. The previous owner and the new owner can be the biggest players involved in making sure the transition really is successful. Probably some people understood that we are not as attuned to or in step with when it comes to managerial styles or marketing styles or approach to business development or what have you. But if you find yourself in an acquisition setting with one of those people as part of the initial process, those have to be resolved so that when you take that first step forward and every step after that, you're taking them together as locked arms. We're better together than we are apart. I'm curious to know what your advice would also be, you know, after the merger has gone through the transition and the restructuring and reorganization, all that has occurred. When should a formal assessment of the merger and acquisition integration be conducted and what information should be captured for those who plan to do more mergers and acquisitions in the future? Uh, first of all, I think that that review, that evaluation process is continual and ongoing not only during the process where you're having regular meetings with your team of trusted advisors to review your, your checklist, to review your, your processes in, in terms of getting to the, the effective date of the merger, but going forward after that. It needs to be um, almost on a daily basis that leadership team needs to be looking at how are we doing, where are we seeing pushback, where are we seeing concerns, uh, how do we address those? Uh, you don't want to let those things fester. They're not going to get better with time. Uh, so we want to make sure you're, you're addressing them. Then I think that from a more formal basis, I would say that early on, uh, that first month, you're looking at maybe once a week. From there, go to about once a month for the next two or three months. How's our training going? Are, have we been able to get everybody involved in the, you know, whatever new process? How are, how's the integration? How are these things going? To a formal snapshot there, uh, having those ongoing uh, listening sessions, talking sessions with the employees, 
I used to, to be in, in an organization that was very actively involved in the uh, in the acquisition process, and they used a, uh, a method they called, uh, and, and it's not unique to them, a lot of people have it, but we had it pretty well formalized, which is called plan, execute, measure, and correct. You can use this in connection with an individual transaction that you're working on, or you can use it in connection with serial transactions if you're going to be doing future acquisitions. It's plan. Uh, we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, you start the planning process with defining your goals and your 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 expectations, the whys, why am I doing this? Uh, how do we go about doing it? What's our plan? Here's our checklist. Here's our time frame. This is what we need to accomplish and when. We execute. We start that process. We put the dominoes in effect. And we let the dominoes knock each other down. We get to the we get to the end. Then we start this process of measurement. Uh, there's going to be financial measurement. Are we hitting our uh, financial performance goals? Uh, have we successfully integrated our systems, processes, software, uh, our underwriters, our search functions, whatever we're putting together? Are we successfully merging our employee cultures? Are people beginning to work together rather than continuing to work separately. Possibly, again, use your team of trusted advisors, your industrial psychologists, your consultants to help you measure those intangibles. It's pretty easy to look at a financial statement and say we did or didn't make money. It's a little bit harder sometimes to look and see how that employee transition is going. And then finally, correct. Uh, If there are areas that we're failing, if we're not hitting our, our target goals for revenue, why not? What do we have to do to correct where we are to get to where we want to be? If we don't have uh, all of our employees successfully trained and up to speed on new software, how do we correct that? If our employees are struggling to integrate themselves into uh, the, the desired culture, what's our corrective measurement? And then um, I think that the, the measurement and the, and the correction phases are, are ongoing. And you're going to want to take that snapshot until you feel comfortable uh, from the feedback that you get from both the objective and the subjective factors that this has been a, uh, a successful transition and, and we're now fully integrated with each other. I mean, I, I, I kind of break it into kind of three sections in this process. You got your, you know, KPIs that you're facing. So I always advise and talk to companies about what are those? What are you, what are you measuring? What do you want to measure? Uh, are you measuring orders? Are you measuring revenue? You, you're measuring new business, kind of what are those KPIs and be able to have that baseline of, of what you're trying to, to measure when you come into a new acquisition. And you can apply kind of the formula that Pat mentioned about planning that and measuring that and, and implementing those KPIs. The culture we've talked about throughout this this whole discussion, measuring kind of the success of, of culture and what that looks like in the people piece of, of an acquisition and then just the integration piece, which is kind of this front part of, you know, this front window of time of, of transitioning everyone over, uh, getting everyone set up, having that planned out so you can measure that and, again, and kind of uh, apply it and, and measure against kind of what Pat just mentioned. But those are kind of three big areas that I, I feel like you can create plans and checklists and kind of measure those three uh, pieces when you're coming into post-acquisition success. Great. I I feel like we've covered so much. Is there anything else that you feel like you absolutely need to share before we end today's conversation? Marcus and I have been privileged to travel a lot, go to a lot of different conferences and seminars and classes, whether it's American Land Title Association or RESPRO or Title Alliance, Realty Alliance, whatever that may be. And and I, I kind of 
developed an approach a long time ago because you get so much information thrown at you in a short period of time like we've probably done today. To try to distill that down into to one takeaway um, that you can focus on if you're involved in, in this process. Uh, I th- the one takeaway I would like everybody to, to have from this process is that looking at the numbers is easy. Looking at the people, look at the culture, look at how this process makes people feel uh, as being absolutely vital to the success of the uh, acquisition and transition process. If you don't do that, it's not going to have the results that you hope for. It is the the people piece is something again that doesn't hit the spreadsheets, but is so critical when it comes time to really making the the transition and being successful down the road. And so, I agree. I, I think I think one thing is when you take a step back, you, you know, you get through the all the the due diligence and get to the the, the signing and and the deal happens. It's what you pour into the people. It's what you invest in the people. It's what you invest in the culture uh, that really will will create a successful ultimate uh, acquisition. Well, thank you so much to both of you, Pat and Marcus, again, for your time and your insight. I really appreciate it. And I I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Amanda. Always a pleasure to, to work with you guys. You guys do such a great job of educating the community and we love being a part of it. Amanda, we thank you. And, and, um, we just appreciate your time uh, has given us a voice to to express our thoughts on what we talked about today. Like I said, Marcus and I are, are part of this world. It's part of our industry. It's, it's what we do on a day-to-day basis. And we want to see our industry and, and our, our friends in the industry thrive and, um, and, and be successful. And we appreciate everything that you and your company does to, to help make that possible. And we just appreciate you giving us the opportunity to talk. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. You can find more information and resources about mergers and exit strategies at titlesuccess.com. Thanks again to Marcus and Pat for speaking with me today. Title Talks is produced by PropLogix and myself. Original music is by Cole Sando. Original graphics are by Jordan Norris. Until next time, happy closings.